You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! And welcome to another episode of Can Dare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And returning to the show this week from conjunkies.com, we welcome back Chris Thomas. Chris, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me again. And uh, we wanted to have him back for this very special episode today. And happy Thanksgiving, everybody, oh, by hey. the way. Uh, we're going to be celebrating the life of Stan Lee. Uh, you know, it happened, uh, he passed away just hours before we recorded last week's episode uh, where Chris was with us. And, um, you know, thought we should wait a week to make sure we were thorough uh, uh, with our episode. I didn't want to do it any You don't want to disservice. go off with something that heavy. Yeah, yeah. Someone so influential on uh, everything we're sitting here talking about and doing. But uh, before we do all that, Jake. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The three pillars of the Canned Air podcast. You've heard me say it a million times before. Here's at least once more. Please follow us, retweet, like, subscribe. Do all of those things to help spread the word just as we spread your words. On Facebook and Twitter, we are at Canned Air Pod, and on Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. And if you really, really like what we do, or you think a little financial motivation will help us improve, we are also on Patreon. Throw a couple of bucks a month our way goes much further than you'd think, and if you can hit that $5 threshold, you are part of the Founders Club with exclusive access to the Patreon-only Founders Club podcast. I was looking through some of those uh, Patreon episodes that we've done, and uh, my favorite—one of my favorite episodes—is on there. The first one we did, where we did the Candare alternative Christmas list, a Christmas yeah. song list. Pardon yeah. me, like where we made our own uh, Christmas playlist uh, out of unconventional songs. Good and, times, uh, boy. That was a good, uh, good listen. So, yeah, good stuff on there for you to check out, and be sure to check out our other series, uh, What If, that uh, now is on iTunes. All the play, all the podcast players that be i think we are on right from what i've checked they've all been there yeah. most of them yeah we're it, still it took a minute out. to spread to yeah other sources. yeah we're like a we're like a, a weak virus <laughs> if you will but we'll get stronger as soon as we become resistant <laughs> then to we'll take over yeah but head out head over to whatifpod.com or just look us up on itunes where the uh, there's some other what if titled podcasts. We're the one with the yellow, red, and blue space looking cover. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I think we're the one with the best cover. I just think the flashiest <laughs> one. Yeah. There it is. There it is. All right. Without any further ado, let's kick this off uh, with a clip from uh, the Stanley Talk Show in 1968. I'm Stanley. I've been writing stories for the young generation for the past 30 years and in the course of that time well I would imagine I receive about two to three hundred fan letters every day probably as much as the Beatles I spend most of my time reading the mail and quite a lot of time answering it during this time I think I've learned a lot about what young people think more importantly I think I've learned a lot about what young people are. Today, we've come to a time in history when there definitely is a generation gap. It seems to us that perhaps anything that can be done to bridge this gap, anything that can be done to help present the point of view of these young people, 
without being patronizing, without hostility, with respect, with attention, would be a very beneficial thing. We think that a voice is needed. Oh, sure, they talk a lot, and they yell a lot, and they demand a lot, but so often nobody really listens to them. We're going to try to present a voice that somebody will listen to. The voice is needed. We hope it will be ours. So as you guys can see, in 1968, you know, Stan was well aware that young people needed a voice, needed to be heard. It's the kind of thing that resonates just as much then as now. Mm-hmm. I think there's always this perceived divide in generations. And, and, and whether it's a, a real difference in ideology or, or more an unwillingness on one or both parts to understand the other, mm-hmm. it, it helps to have someone in between. I'm kind of halfway there with you. I mean, I think there always will be a generational gap before some people, but I think nowadays we're in an age, especially when we go to these cons, you're not seeing just kids. You know, you're seeing adults. You're seeing, I've seen like elderly people in cosplay (laughs) at these things. You know, it's bringing together so many different uh, generations that, uh, I don't know, something that Stan has built through his career that's turned into these, you know, these conventions that have just catamaried into these huge events, you know. I don't Pretty know. extraordinary it's that he very was set on this mission back then. You it's know, a good reason for some people to get out. And, and I mean, even back then for him to set up some of the characters as the minority and uh, being oppressed and the way he did that and giving people a voice, even if it was through a fictional character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from the beginning was always preaching against you know not preaching i shouldn't say preaching but he definitely made mention several times about equality and not judging people you know by their race uh, color of their skin whatever it might be it's um i don't know it's hard to explain i why it's so amazing but just to look back on youtube doing all this research just to peeling back the years of interviews that <laughs> yeah. he's done and to hear him saying the same thing and carrying that same torch uh, all those years. And as you go back, you see people kind of get more like crook-eyed at him and like, oh, right, comics. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, actually, speaking of which, I'm going to cut a clip in here right now of such an interview from uh, 1984 in the thick of the night. I don't know if you guys remember Alan Thick, uh, his talk show back then. And for those of you who are too young to remember... You probably know Robin Thicke. Well, this is Robin's uh, father. Yeah, I think he's in the dictionary under condescending. He <laughs> was very condescending. My God. Always <laughs> <laughs> well, shaking his head around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's cut to that clip right here. We have a fellow with us tonight who, who revolutionized comic books back in the 60s with the creation of a number of superheroes, Spider-Man, Daredevil, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk. He's the man responsible for Marvel Comics. You've seen these on the stand. This is Stan Lee. What do they mean when they say comic book revolution? 
Well, I don't know what they mean, but to us, we mean the Marvel comic books, mm -hmm. which we like to think uh, were started a new style in comics, more realistic. If you <laughs> can imagine fantasy superheroes being realistic, that's the gimmick. Yes, well, I can't, but the pictures are uh, spectacular, and your own role in this was to create the characters themselves well, and, and even draw them. As I, an no, I, I created a lot of them, and I was the head writer, the art director, and the editor. Then a few years later, uh, they made me the publisher, so I stopped writing them. Now the only comic book writing I do is the Spider-Man newspaper strip, which is around the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm out here hoping to put these and other properties into movies and television shows. Well, let's uh, take a look at the Spider-Man cover. And uh, there you see Spider-Man with uh, what appears to be a regular girl, but... Uh She's been, uh, uh, yes, she's she been is not in, she she's is not in good her condition. Her hair is in bed. So this is something that our children are reading, Stan. Uh, well, you're, you're um, making me feel incredibly comfortable out no, here. No, I don't mean to. I don't mean to do that at all, but I know you'll have, you'll have great justification for the fantasy in these comics. Actually, if people don't get hurt and aren't in trouble and mm -hmm. aren't menaced in these stories, yes. you're not going to get anybody to read them. Right. Just like in the adventure movies, if somebody isn't being killed or chased or in a car crash, mm -hmm. nobody is going to go to see them. And the truth is, your people are saving them and coming to the rescue. Magnificent. Showing goodness and virtue. Oh, sure. It's the only thing in comics. Um, these are incredibly educational, you know. See, basically, they're educational publications, and the entertainment value is just subliminal. We sneak that in. Mm -hmm. But these are sort of the uh, pictorial equivalent of the Harvard classics, the Encyclopedia Britannica. They just teach slightly different subjects. That's yeah. Well, I, uh, in, in one sense, you're probably not even being facetious at all, because there are plenty of uh, kids who aren't uh, reading much of anything anymore. Well, uh, the funny thing is... Without trying to be overly dramatic, which I love to try to be, comic books basically are probably the last bastion, the last defense against the creeping illiteracy occasioned by television. Because, as you know, most kids will spend as much time as possible in front of a TV set. You can't get them to read. But you take a Marvel comic book and put it on the coffee table between the youngster and the TV set, and slowly but surely he will grab that book and pick it up and look at those ridiculous pictures and be fascinated by it. Now, in order to know what's happening, he's got to read the words. Mm -hmm. And even though he doesn't want to read particularly before he knows it, he's enjoying the story, and eventually they go on to read real things. Does it say anything about uh, our world that we used to read Daffy Duck and uh, Woody Woodpecker and now... The Fantastic Four and Friends and well, Enemies. There are still humor books published. In fact, we still publish a few, but strangely enough, no, it isn't strangely, the same kids who like Star Wars, same kids who like Raiders of the Lost Ark and so forth, mm -hmm. they're the ones who like this. Yes. It just occurred to me, you make a very good point that you're, at least you were introducing them to words, which is quite a trick anyway these days, as you say. But why stop there? Why don't you go out and introduce them to the classics? You could have Spider-Man meets the New Testament. Mm -hmm. you, you read that one, did you? Mm -hmm. Son of a gun. Spider-Man meets uh, Hamlet or whatever, you know? Yes, well, the funny four meets Medusa. You're only talking about Spider-Man. We have a line of more than 40 of them. Now, one of them involves the mighty Thor, God of Thunder, in which we explore the old Norse mythology, and mm -hmm. it's all based on mythology. And they even speak in a, a pseudo-Shakespearean and biblical parlance. Uh, I might add also, and I don't want to get too sticky about this, we're still talking about comic books, but we use college-level 
vocabulary, if we want to use words like uh, proselytize, misanthropic, we go ahead and we do it, and we don't worry about the young kids, and we find that they enjoy the stories as much as the older ones, but we've encouraged an entire older audience to read comics, too, which may be good or it may be bad. But when you say misanthropic, there's always a picture of a misanthropic person right there. If you can there's... draw a misanthropic, you're pretty good. Incredible Hulk from Marvel Comics. Stan, one thing about your, uh, your comic book characters is they also have some human qualities, for instance. Well, they're done by human beings like me. I've modeled a lot of them after me. Uh, for example, Spider-Man. I mean, he's just as apt to have an allergy attack while he's saving the world, or he worries about fallen arches, or his dandruff, and... Spider-Man um, doesn't even have any hair. <laughs> well, he doesn't. His premature dandruff. I, okay. You know, incidentally, one thing I, I've thought of, one great thing I think about the Spider-Man costume, uh, every kind of kid relates to him. You could be an Oriental, you could be black, you could be an Eskimo, but the mere fact that you can't tell through the mask what type of person he is makes it very easy for kids all around the world to empathize with Spider-Man. I, I often thought that might be one reason for success, besides the allergy attacks, which I'm sure are irresistible to your average reader. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was, was going to say, well, the Hulk, he has a little problem, too. He turns into a monster whenever he least expects it. Yes, we have yes. a character, Iron Man, who has a weak heart, and on and on. They've all got some ridiculous flaw, some Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And you find, do you find that adults read the comics at all, or do they, is it cut off at a certain age? Man and boy, for 15 years, I used to lecture around the country at colleges, never less than once a week, 52 weeks a year, and each year the audiences were larger and larger, mm -hmm. and it it is amazing the questions that these college students would ask. Like they'd say, with Dr. Strange, how do you equate the judo-Christian um, ethic with the various <laughs> mystical concepts? And on and on. Yes. I mean, they read so much into it. Or where can I get a tattoo is the commercial at the end of it. Well, thank you very much, Stan, for uh, sharing these uh, with us. So there you have it, Alan Thicke being an ass. You can see the pushback during that time mm -hmm. when it's it's not even worth considering that this medium is worthy of attention. Right. It's just so far beneath you. He's like, oh, can you imagine superheroes in a more realistic setting? Oh, no, I can't. And then he just moves right on to the next question. It, yeah. It doesn't bear any consideration. And I think that's the biggest change we've seen is that we recognize it now as, right. as a way to deliver ideas and stories and art and there there are all these things that aren't taboo anymore mm -hmm. it's cool to be into comic book movies make money i mean we've said it a thousand times it's just such a tectonic shift in the cultural landscape mm -hmm. and i think go ahead i think too like what really made it stand out was okay they were comic books but at the same time they were also genre stories so you know you had spider-man who was a, a real kid struggling growing up and uh you know kind of being an outcast and getting powers you had the family dynamic in fantastic four you had um you know the the x-men which was an allegory for uh martin luther king and and uh um that that issue and and that kind of stays true in the MCU today. It's that the Marvel movies aren't good just because they're comic book movies. They've held on because, you know, Ant-Man's a heist film and, um, 
Captain America 2 was kind of a spy thriller and right. Spider-Man's kind of this high school drama and, and you get all these different things, but they revolve around the comic book world. And at the end of the day, he just was able to create such great stories. It's really the truth. And I, I, I think of the one I have up on the wall here uh, that I was actually able to get him to autograph, uh, what, 2013. It's The Amazing Spider-Man Unmasked at Last. And uh, this was a good issue. In this comic, he's feeling feverish. He's not himself. And he th thinks he's losing his powers. And he decides, since I'm losing my powers anyway, I'm just going to confess to my family and friends, which he does. He comes home with the mask in hand and says, um, I'm Spider-Man. And they don't believe him. Oh, you're sick. You're kind How of feverish. You, you know? But Gwen kind of, it's like, he could be Spider-Man. You know what I mean? So in this panic, he kind of takes off. And he goes to a doctor only to find out that um, he just has the flu. It's just a common <laughs> flu. You no, know? That's right. Yeah. And that's just kind of throwing his powers off. He's not losing his powers. Just he has a bug, you know. So knowing this, he's like, oh, crap. You know, I've just said my identity to them. And um, in the midst of all this, it doesn't if I remember correctly, it doesn't play really big into the comic, but there's a part where he's rushing back to the house. The reason everyone's there is it's Gwen's birthday and he doesn't have a gift for her. And temptation kind of sets in. He goes, oh, I've got these powers, you know, I could I could bust in here and just grab a necklace quick. No one would ever know. And he, so he does. He busts into the store or maybe he's stealing out of someone's safe. I don't remember where, but he's stealing and he has them in hand and he kind of stops and he checks himself. No, that's not why I'm doing this. And, you know, puts them back and then goes on his way. Just that quick stop off to show not moral code, but kind of instill that onto a young reader. When you, know you what I mean? see that, you have to put yourself in that position. Because, I mean, one kid mm -hmm. didn't start reading Spider-Man going like, oh, I wish I was Spider-Man, or imagine if I could do this. And there's that part of you, no matter how good-natured you are, how law-abiding, there's that part of you that thinks, if I had such-and-such such power, I could do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Self-control over yeah. extreme power, you know. And there's that, you know, great power, great responsibility mm -hmm. dynamic. And it, it's, it's nice to see that he's not just this shining paragon of morality. He has moments of weakness. Right. And it's abil his ability to, to recognize those little failures and step back from them mm -hmm. that makes the character heroic rather than just never doing anything questionable at all. Right. How great is that line, though, with great power must come great responsibility? I mean, it that sums it all up. It does. How many times have we sat around this table talking about if we had ultimate power? Oh, dude. The first things that we've all talked about doing are not heroic. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never is. They're rooted in greed, destruction, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. We are all of us on record as huge assholes if and ever I, we become powerful. You know, I can't imagine, you know, in the world he was writing there, how hard it would be to restrain yourself if yeah. said powers did exist, if you did have that. But um, that's something you just take in your day-to-day. -day. Go ahead. I, I almost think of it like owning a gun, even. Okay. Lots of people own guns. I know a few just in my, you know, personal life alone. And it's not like they carry it with them everywhere with the intent to threaten or harm or kill anybody. Mm-hmm. You have that power, that ability. You could say, like, oh, I could go to the convenience store right now and I could get all the money in the till and get away scot-free. What stops you from doing that? 
I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to do that to people. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want to get caught doing this. <laughs> kind of. But I, mean, I just mean when you have that sort of power. Consequence really, yeah. I think, inhibits the self-control. Not that people have the urge to just go shoot everyone. No, but, I no. mean, I think spending a lifetime in prison is a big deterrent against such things where, say, if you were granted the power to just, with the snap of your fingers, you know, go through a wall or something. I mean... You know, yeah, and if you're Spider-Man, you're not you're not getting locked up. You know, nobody's right. keeping you in jail. But I mean, if you could just like you know, what if temptation strikes? I could go down to GameStop, just vamp in and get that new yep. Xbox. <laughs> no one would ever know. You know, that's that's hard temptation. <laughs> I think you would end up doing a 180 if you had powers, doing the wrong thing until you ended up using them to help somebody, and then realized what you actually did and the feeling that it gave you and then kind of like spider-man did exactly and then all of a sudden you'd be like this is actually a little bit better i'm gonna do more of this the power i've always wanted i think that first time would land me in some hot fucking water i don't think (laughs) i'd be able to i'm gonna be a good guy now i'd I'd be hiding from the fbi the rest of my life probably (laughs) (laughs) and superman probably has it the hardest though with that x-ray vision that's got to be tempting to use all the time oh Oh, yeah 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 especially when you can kind of have trouble turning it on and off right yeah, yeah was, but he was so white bread he wasn't doing that he wasn't looking <laughs> through skirts or anything you know i it reminds me of uh i don't know if you guys have ever seen the invisible man you know the old yeah. black and mm-hmm. white there's there's a line in that somewhere when he's fully gone off the deep end his secrets kind of exposed and he's grappling with the rest of these characters and he says something to the effect of a, a man who can't be seen can steal and kill and destroy and and rule the world without consequence and you know it, it seems like such a small power you can't see him he can still be shot you could kill him if he falls from a ledge he'll probably die he's not invulnerable but just that little bit of power and what it does to the human psyche oh yeah if it weren't so easy to fall off the deep end then we wouldn't admire the character of Peter Parker so much for not doing it. That's true. Or, you know, same can be said with Batman, you know, the restraint to not kill anybody, especially Mm -hmm. when they're people that have devastated his personal (laughs) life, you know? Yeah. But uh, But on the other end, Batman's also the the guy who wants to uh, make sure people keep their power and responsibility check. Yeah, it's true. How about some quick facts? Facts, uh, quick fun facts about Stan. Anybody interested? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. He made promotional posters for soldiers. Uh, I think it was in World War II to beware VD. Oh wow! <laughs> and they read with a soldier walking in the door, "VD, not for me." And for the longest time, he was known for these posters because these posters were printed like crazy and put all over the world. So that's what he, for a short while, was known for. Well, he he uh, sure had a nice pivot. And his legacy there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's the guy who's got a vendetta against venereal disease. <laughs> One of his first jobs was writing obituaries in New York. Oh, wow. Not only obituaries. They were obituaries for celebrities who hadn't yes. died yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's still done to this day. And he, right. He, just in preparation. For he'd that. always said, like, that's how he, uh, you'd know you'd made it, is if you had your obituary written before wow. you died. Yeah. And I went in a recent interview I saw with him and Larry King on, like, I think Larry King does, like, a YouTube show now, like, Larry King Now, I think is what it's called, where uh, he said he just recently found out that his 
obituary had been written. <laughs> so uh, he's been hanging on for a while too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a nice long ninety-five years. Mm-hmm. That's a long life. Born in nineteen twenty-two. Wrap your head around that. Nineteen twenty-two. That's what tail end of the First World War. Mm-hmm. All of the Second Vietnam. Everything else. I've seen the highest and lowest points of the country. Yeah. TVs, yeah, telephones. Well, not telephones, but the change in telephone, I guess. Yeah. And now to be on YouTube, you know. Yeah, it's crazy how much the world changed that, in his life, right? That's. I, I guess the same could be said about Stan Lee and his interaction with the public. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his talk show, which we played a moment ago. Right. Various interviews where he's still sharing the same message. You know, the same mission and. Up until the very end of his life, present in almost every facet of pop culture. Mm -hmm. He spared no expense in being there. He always knew he was part of it. Right. Not some distant creator like, you know, oh, this is based on the book by such and such. You're like, oh, this is Stan Lee's material. And Mm -hmm. there he is right there. Right. And, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, speaking kind of in that uh, realm is uh, conventions. Getting to meet the guy in the flesh. Because so many... Of us have, and I know uh, Chris, you got a chance to. Yeah, yeah, I got to get a photo with him at uh, near Comic Con two years ago, I think. How was your experience? It, it was it was a bit of a. <laughs> I felt bad for him. The lines yeah. he had all day between the photo ops and the signings, especially at his age, man. I I don't know. I it made me tired just looking at it. And um, you know, when I finally got in and got my photo with him. They move you through so quick. He barely even responds to you. My first photo, his eyes were shut. It looked like he was asleep. <laughs> he might have been true. asleep. I mean, <laughs> he, has, he has those tinted glasses on, so you can, you, know, you can barely see his eyes, and maybe that's a smart play. But, yeah, so the second time I looped around, and he was kind of same thing, kind of just there getting photos taken. And, um, you know, I felt a little bit like I was taking advantage of the situation. But um, at the same point, I figure – as long as that money's going in his pocket, I was happy to share it if he was happy to be there. Yeah. You know, that was very much my experience, too. I When I got through, I felt a little guilty. I honestly did because he did not look comfortable. He looked tired. And, uh, you know, looking up for anybody just was kind of not even a question. He just looked down. The book slid in front of him, signed it, passed. And I don't blame him. I mean, the, yeah, the dude's it's, like old, and I, so I, I, I just feel like, why aren't you at home with your wife relaxing or something? You know, yeah, like, yeah. he's doing it for the fans because he loves them so much. I get it, but I think the fans would understand that he's ninety years oh, old, ninety plus, yeah. and like it's time for him to you know take some time. Which, and, you know, what a what a reversal of the situation there. You know, you see some of these big up and coming stars or famous professional wrestlers seem to draw mm-hmm. huge crowds at conventions these days the lines are huge the prices are crazy and they come in and you get your photo or your signature or whatever and you're gone and it it feels kind of predatory right like wow look at all these saps lining up and then they just drain the money from them but you feel like the predator you know in that stanley dynamic because you look at this person you think this man's given enough yeah you do. And, you know, it's it could be also like one of these things you hear that's, you know, people who work all their life and then they retire and a few months later they, yeah. they yeah. S- start to go downhill. And, you know, it's their work that keeps them mm-hmm. feeling young and vigorous. And so maybe that's what it was because he worked up until the very end. You know? Not in his wife passing. 
yeah, yeah. to keep his mind off it at least or something. Yeah. I can't. Oh. I, I did bump into him a couple of years ago, though, at um, Wizard World Chicago. And um, that had to be 2013, 2014. And I just kind of, I think it was like early hours because I was helping working at a booth. And um, I stumbled into him like coming out of a booth and there was nobody around. And he was full energy then and, you know, happy as could be. And, and maybe just a couple of years, you know, he's starting to, to hit those upper ages where the energy starts to go. But and yeah, even a couple of years ago, he seemed to be loving it at the conventions. Yeah, absolutely. He likes the attention. He's got that that ego. Yeah. I mean, you know, what he had been fighting for for 20 plus years, he was finally seeing it to come to fruition. Right. You know? he, he got to see it happen. Yeah. Unlike so many. I mean, I guess Ditko was alive up until this, till this last year, right? We lost him this past year, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, um, but he's kept himself like removed. Like he did yeah, not. Right. There was only a few known pictures of the guy from back in the day. Like, so, and I can't really think of many other people, you know, I'll see like Neil Adams out at conventions and stuff, you know, some of these big creators and big influential artists, but nobody's still carrying that torch like Stanley did, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. And it's funny because, I, I looked at a bunch of different things online when I was getting ready for this, and so many different like websites say so many different things, so it's hard to say what's correct. But from what I could gather was he was one of the fathers of the convention. I can't say they, they put on the first convention, but he was one of the first people to push like the artists and the writers and stuff, I think, being there. And uh, got the ball rolling on that. How many, you know, we've met so many of our favorite artists yeah, and writers yeah. and <laughs> actors and stuff through that. Um, and I, one thing I remember also in high school, you know, I graduated in 2000 and I remember hearing on the radio, Stan Lee coming to the Springfield library or, you know, the conventions or the Stan Lee meet and greets were not the demand they are or were nowadays. You know, they were, like I said, at libraries or at hotel <laughs> conference room kind of things. If you heard Stan Lee was going to be at the Marriott for a weekend, you'd be like, what? No, that's, he's not selling out stadiums, you know, it's. Well, no, I mean, then you wouldn't, I I certainly didn't think that. I just thought, oh, he's at the library. Maybe I'll go. That'd be kind of cool. You know, he, ah, it's funny how in that He didn't seem like such a big deal then as he did. Yeah. In that 20 years, like. So much has happened, mainly the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has really yeah. hurtled him into the spotlight. That night, I almost wonder if it was also kind of a factor of his age. You know, way back when you think, oh, like, oh, Stan Lee, yeah, he's this background figure. He's the guy who's more or less responsible for all these things I love. And later on in his life and with the advancement of these settings and like the MCU, like you said, you think... Oh wow, he's still there. He's still active. Right. I, I need to be a part of this now. Right. And that was my uh, inspiration. You know that the, the con that I saw him at was my very first convention ever. Just on a whim, I hadn't been reading comics in some time. At the time, I was getting into podcasting, <laughs> and I remember, um, you know, before we ever recorded our first like sample episode, I had just a mic set up next to my computer. And I was thinking, like like I said before, a show about music or something. And nothing was clicking. And I was just frustrated because it was something I wanted to do, but I couldn't make anything work. So we got away from it. We went to the con that day. And I knew leaving that con being such an experience because I had no idea going like that this many people were into this kind of stuff. 
all ages. So many, you know, the cosplay. It blew my mind. I uh, never seen anything like it. And I knew walking out the door, it almost had like a white noise in my ear. You know, I just met Stan Lee and had an amazing time. Like, I've got to be a part of this world yeah. in some way. And I was honestly thinking, like, how could I become a T-shirt vendor? Like, <laughs> that'll get me in here. Like, I didn't care how I was there. I wanted to be there. And uh, the whole way home, thought about it, racked my mind. And, like, we walked in the door. I walked in the room, and I set that comic book down on, next to my mixer and, like, clicked like oh shit podcast there you that's go. what we're gonna do <laughs> and i'm by far not the first person to do it uh just jumping into a sea of comic that's the story but... of the very first podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he definitely the day i met him was so uh awesome for me that it spawned this show it's kind of a formative event there yeah yeah. So, I mean, even though the, the meeting was impersonal, you know, not really much to can be said about it. You know, I got a cool comic signed by him on the wall and we've got this cool podcast mm-hmm. as a result. So anyway, I'll quit flapping my gums. Any guys, anything else on the conventions that we should mention? I think it's difficult to imagine convention culture having sprung up the way it did. You know, I mean, it wouldn't have. Yeah, no. we, we've touched on him kind of being the uh, supposedly the pioneer of this whole thing, but... But without, a, like, a very charismatic figurehead to jump up and say, we should do it like this, mm-hmm. would anyone dedicate the time to this? I, I, it's almost one of those cultural phenomenons that I think of is it builds itself up. It's its own energy is just on a circuit, you know? You, you get excited about this, and the excitement spreads, and it keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. In a vacuum, that, that wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. you know? It all started at this point, and it snowballed so much and spread so far and wide. And, you know, I think that's why the first few cons I went to were such a smack in the face of, like, whoa! The like sensory overload. Yeah. yeah, because going to the first, I th- my idea of what I was walking into was like a, like a Marriott conference room yeah. kind mm-hmm. of a situation. Yeah. I had no idea the scale, like how big they were. And, Christ, that was in 2013. We're now in 2018 Year by year, you know, we were covering these events. Every year, they're bigger and yeah. bigger yep. and bigger. They just keep expanding. So, um, you know, I, I can't imagine going to San Diego. Like, that just... Oh, no. I don't have the energy. energy. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that's well, they, the other thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, they said uh, New York this year, quarter of a million people. New York Comic Con. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> I mean, you'd be able to just pick your feet up and still move around yeah. the con, yeah, right? Really. Yeah, like being in a mosh pit, and that sounds like hell. Yeah, oh, I don't do like it. Crowds like I that. I don't either. And, and maybe you, they've got it spaced out enough to where it isn't that way. But some of it is absolute hell. Um, but yeah, that's part of it is going multiple days and picking the right times. But yeah, a middle of the day Saturday at New York Comic Con is <laughs> the craziest place to be in the world. You want to stop at a booth and look at something, but you're automatically just pushed along yeah. with the yeah. rest of the yeah. crowd going on. You know, I'll just go to work. <laughs> That's how the Cincinnati Comic Con was. And I think yeah. uh, even Stan Lee was that that one, wasn't he? One of the years we were there? He was two. Well, we didn't go the last two years. So the last time we were there. Years. Yeah, because yeah, it was supposedly ago. his last uh, like East Coast appearance. 
Yeah, but then he was here at Wizard World like the year after or something like that. So I don't really know how that works. Tricky bastard, yeah. right? <laughs> but um, that con is really good. Uh, that con keeps getting bigger, but the walls that it's set in can't get Aren't bigger. Getting bigger, yeah. <laughs> so you, like Jack was saying, it's like being in a river current when you're walking through the aisles of this thing. If you stop to look at something, people just keep pushing you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just hope you're getting the full tour. Get a good damn look while you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Stand there at a certain angle so people just deflect <laughs> off you a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we move on, uh, a few things I have here. I've got some excerpts. One thing Stan used to do in the back of his comics is write Stan's soapbox. It was a column that he would write to the reader uh, every week about just whatever was on his mind, what was going on, uh, what he saw on TV, talking whatever pertaining to the comic. And they were interesting. And uh, on the, the first comic book day that we did this show, we went out and spoke with some people from the Hero Initiative, uh, HeroInitiative.org, which is a uh, what they do is they try to get funds to reimburse artists That's right. That's and writers was, yeah. who have created some of the most influential yeah. characters in comic book history but don't see a dime from it because mm-hmm. of the time when they created it. There were no rights in place to guarantee them uh, you know, ownership rights to those characters. Yeah. I've got the uh, blurb from their about page here sure. if you wanted to. Uh, it says, The Hero Initiative creates a financial safety net for comic creators who may need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. Okay. It's yeah. like a 401, 401k for comic book artists that were... The kind of thing the they just wouldn't have access to. Right. In spite of their hard work and contributions, there's just... Um, what's a good example of a, a person like this would be, uh, what was it? The, the, oh, maybe we were going to see him at the CincyCon, but then he passed away. Uh, was it Henry Trimp? I want Herb Trimp. Yes. Yeah. He, uh, created the look of Wolverine, but <laughs> didn't get really much of anything for mm-hmm. it. You know, he was, uh, I just felt horrible. I mean, like you've created one of the, <laughs> the biggest characters out there, his image anyway, the way he looks, right? It's a terrifying thought. It is. That your greatest creation could just be separate from you like that. Yeah, it really is. Anyway, I'm sorry, they're not paying us to read, say all this stuff, but um, the reason I do is because this Stan's Soapbox collection that I've been ta- I'm going to be taking from is a book uh, from this organization, and it's something that Stan uh, did believe in, and he donated, I believe, all these columns in this book to help them raise money. So, uh, anyway... I'm going to read one of these really quick. From time to time, we receive letters from readers who wonder why there's so much moralizing in our mags. They take great pains to point out that comics are supposed to be escapist reading and nothing more. But somehow I can't see it that way. It seems to me that a story without a message, however subliminal, is like a man without a soul. In fact, even the most escapist literature of all, old-time fairy tales and heroic legends, contained moral and philosophical points of view. At every college campus where I may speak, there's as much discussion on war and peace, civil rights, and the so-called youth rebellion as there is of our Marvel mags per se. None of us lives in a vacuum. None of us is untouched by the everyday events about us. Events which shape our stories just as they shape our lives. Sure, our tales can be called escapist, but just because something's for fun doesn't mean it doesn't have to blanket our brains while we read it. Excelsior, Stan Lee. And that sums up exactly why I've always taken to Marvel, more so than DC, because it's like we kind of touched on earlier, sunk 
in the real world mm-hmm. and sunk with problems like Tony Stark being a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with real addiction and real problems that, uh, you know, either ourselves or people we know in our lives have dealt with. And I don't know. There's something. It's, it's interesting to see those problems um, kind of inhibit his ability to be that character. Right. You think of someone like Batman, who I love. I'm not shitting on Batman by any stretch. Sure. But all of Batman's problems and trauma and deep-seated psychological damage, he turns into this momentum. It's a positive force. Batman isn't really stopped up by the things that have, he's suffered through. He's motivated by them. You right. know, you don't think like, oh, oh, he's going to falter fighting crime because his parents died. No, he's fighting crime because that happened. Tony Stark is inhibited by his problems. He is a human being who's taken on this kind of superhuman mantle. It doesn't stop the issues he's dealing with from interfering with it. Right. And there's something very relatable about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of leads into uh, a fact, another fun fact. I don't know why I'm calling them fun. They're just facts. Just <laughs> Maybe they're fun. <laughs> a little factoid. They can be fun. But uh, that's going right along with this, that Stan pushed his publisher to put a book out that the comic code said they couldn't. Because it had a the character drug. dealing with... Uh, 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 Harry Poppin' Pills. Yeah, yep. Poppin' Pills. That's yep. what it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the comic code said no, but he urged his publisher to do it anyway to address that. And, um, man, what a good thing, I think. Well, he done. was asked by the the Drug Administration or something like that to, to do that in his comic. Is that what it was? Yep. So he went ahead and did it, but, yeah, the comic code was like, no, you can't, because it says stuff about drugs, but he ended up pushing to get it and got it. Nice. You know, something I, I read recently that I've been thinking about is uh, his introduction to the character Luke Cage, who I could be wrong, but I thought he was the first major African-American superhero character in the Marvel line, or close to it. One of the first. I don't know if Black Panther came first Black or not. Panther was alluded to in a Fantastic Four. That was his first mention, but he he didn't get big for a little while, I don't think. I couldn't tell you. I really don't know. It's some weird thing, but but they have a, a drawing of the character, and I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but um, Stanley in, in that sort of soapbox style, he says, you know, here's our latest Luke Cage hero for hire. We think he's really something else. We hope you will too. And throughout all of this description, there's no mention of his race or the color of his skin. It's like here is our new character. You know, right. it's not like, hey, guys, you know what's exciting? This guy's different. No, it's like, hey, check it out. New character for you. Hope you like it. And that was huge for so many people. So many people. Especially, you, obviously, the African-American community. Mm-hmm. And now have this awesome freaking character, you yeah. know, that they could uh, identify with. And, and that's the thing. It's Luke Cage, hero for hire. Not Luke Cage, who defeated poverty or something in this weird kind of pandering where you're you're feeding the stereotypes while sur- trying to circumvent them. He's a character in his own right. He's not defined by the fact that he's African American exactly any further than you want him to be. It's relevant to his character, it's not his sole character trait. Uh, it's funny you mention that cuz that exact clip you're talking about is in this book somewhere. Is it really? And that's why I'm flipping through here. I was trying to find it, but it's uh, getting past me, and I don't want to dedicate too much time to it, but we'll move on. No, you're absolutely right. And that's what, um, (laughs) this is going to sound stupid, but it makes me kind of think of that 70s show. 
you know, um, what made that show work is the fact they didn't focus on it being in the 70s. You know, they just they did a normal show that just happened to kind of be based in the 70s. When in the height of its success, another show came along that was called That 80s Show that tried to <laughs> capitalize on that. But that show did nothing but point out hairstyles, yeah. phones, mm-hmm. records of the time and was gone as quick as it came. Um my point being, you know, uh, because if they would stop and make, act, you know, mention, look what we did. We have an African-American yeah. character now. It would, ah, it would be very tacky, I think. It's because you'd be going about it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I can't speak to the the motivation behind the introduction of this character, but I'd like to believe, you know, in line with his description, this was the next in a long line of characters. And they said, this character needs representation. Here he is. Mm-hmm. We've done the best we can. We hope you like him. Sure. Not look at Luke Cage. Ooh, he's the black superhero. Right. <laughs> Stan always wanted to make sure everybody felt included yeah. and everybody was included. And, uh, you know, after, you know, somewhat recently, he's had what? I think it's Powell has been his comic company. Yeah. yeah. After Marvel. And uh, they were busy making superheroes from each uh, culture around the world. Oh, wow. If I if I read that correctly, I don't know if it was just a few, but uh, I mean he's again trying to include ever make the world feel included. Yeah, that's incredible. Still with us, Chris? I'm there. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm busy reading Stan stuff. You got me in a, a bit of a wormhole. Good, good. I hope that's, that's what idea. I hope that's yeah. what happens with the listeners. But yeah. have you guys ever heard of the? Uh, and I hope I get this right. The Merry Marching Marvel Society. No, no. Let me, let I feel me. like no. if I had heard of that, I'd remember. What'd you say, Chris? Was that like the the fan club thing in the the old comics in the back? That's correct. Excuse me, Mary Marvel Marching Society, and um, there was a record. I don't know if there are multiple records, but there was one record called uh, instead of sing along, a shout along that had looked like <laughs> the Hulk like conducting from behind. And I think it was just like a three to four minute quick little uh, record, but it's like these old timey like anthem songs that, uh, you know, kids would get and put on the record player where they kind of just mentioned the Hulk and stuff. But, you know, becoming part of the Merry Marvel Marching Society, like like Chris said, their fan club. I'm going to patch it in right here so you guys can hear it. Belong, you belong, you belong to the Merry Marvel Marching 
One thing I read, or excuse me, one thing I saw watching some of these documentaries, they were talking to a woman who was a secretary at Marvel, and she said when they would do those songs, it was quite literally like the Marvel staff doing it. It wasn't <laughs> like they got uh, performers to do them. They said, you know, Stan and a bunch of the people would shut themselves in a room, and you'd hear them all in there like singing, dun, 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 you know, like really getting into it. And uh, I just think that's so freaking Straight cool. from the source there. There's nothing... They're taking the manufacturing feel away from everything and giving it like a real yeah. personal feel, mm-hmm. you know. This isn't done by some person we hired, you know, do this and get it out. For, you know, they took the time and the care to do it themselves. And That, uh, that mass production, you know, yeah. it's like aspartame. It's sweet for a second, but the aftertaste, you're like, ah, this isn't real. And, you know, he also meant, said that about his soapbox columns was that he, he thought they were important to the comics because it's True. not only... You're, you know, checking out a story they've written, and then it's just over. You know, yeah. we've got your money, your stories. Yeah, over. <laughs> now you're going to buy the next one. Now the writer's talking directly to you. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's like the PSA after it. Yeah, giving you light, you know, insight behind what's going on, what we've got planned, or just you know talking about stuff in real world that you know you you might be aware of. And that's how you create an enduring fan base, right. not just people who are into it or excited about the subject matter, but people who feel like they are in touch with it and have been directly influenced. Exactly. He's got that, I think of it like the cool uncle effect. You know, you feel related to him in some capacity. So much of your childhood experience or whatever, you think like Stan Lee or like Gary Gygax or something. These people who introduced you to so much through their creations, you know, who fought against mainstream cultural norms to say like, hey, I think this is cool. I'll bet some of you do too. Where are you? You know? Sure. Sort of a, like a, like a beacon of sorts, and you say like, "Hey, I'm not alone." Right. What an extraordinary thing that is, and I, I think it's something younger generations kind of take for granted these days. Because I, I, this isn't absolutely true, but I think we live in a time where people are a little more accepting of interests and pursuits. And you say like, "Oh, I want to be a musician. I want to be an artist. I want to be a scientist. I want to drive a garbage truck. Whatever." People are generally at peace with that. I feel like in previous generations, there was a lot of focus on, no, no, you have to do the right thing. You have Mm -hmm. to be interested in the correct pursuits. So anything that wasn't within that narrow scope was weird. That's not going to get you anywhere. You got to do this. Yeah, exactly. And it was nice to think like, all right, sure, they don't approve. I'm still into this. And so are some other people. I'm not crazy. I'm just into different stuff. And he did all this before... uh before social media i mean yeah, how hard yeah. was it had to have been to connect with fans like that it, to, to even know like you're, you put this stuff out like the marvel fan club you don't know if anyone's going to subscribe or how many letters you're going to get in the mail for weeks and you're, you're doing all this work and then to see something come out of it that's remembered so fondly this far down the road you know i i can't imagine that um fan clubs nowadays being online deliver the same amount of excitement that being in a Mm -hmm. fan club and getting stuff like sent to you in the mail whether it be just a letter or something you know i remember when i was when i was real young i joined the tom petty 
in the Heartbreakers fan club. <laughs> and when those newsletters would show up, my God, I was beside <laughs> myself. I wouldn't, I'd read them five times over. And I would imagine the same thing if you're into Marvel comics yeah. and anything that they sent you that you couldn't typically get on the shelf had to have been like gold, you know? Yeah. And like the, the exclusivity and the anticipation, mm -hmm. you don't get that anymore. It's, it's very mm -hmm. much instant gratification. You join a fan club, go online, go to a forum, subscribe. Right. What do you get in and return? A, Probably nothing. One of the things they got in this fan club was a six-foot, life-size, full-color Spidey pinup by Steve Ditko. Oh, my Man, God. I can't imagine what that would be worth nowadays. $1.50 t-shirt, Ditko drawn Doctor Strange. Man, oh, some cool stuff. That's amazing. That stuff is so people cool. would kill for. Yeah. Man, I wish that fan club still existed. <laughs> It'd be cool if they did like a retro Marvel fan club where they just kind of gave out the same kind of things they did back in the day. I yeah. Know. You know, I not that they're one for one, but I think the closest thing we have to that is something like Loot Crate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's sort of building off that same sense of wonder, like, ooh, what could it be? And the excitement yeah. you feel when it gets there. I, that's like the last vestige of that kind of fan club. Either <laughs> have twenty dollars or trade it all. Or what's in the box? <laughs> yeah. The box. The box. They do the uh, Marvel Unlimited Plus too. That's kind of um, it's like an extra tier on their digital comic subscription thing. The uh, the Netflix of comics they got. Um, I think the normal one is like sixty bucks. I'm a member of the uh, the higher end one, and you get an exclusive action figure, a couple exclusive comics, and uh, I think a couple pins and patches every year. Mm -hmm. And then um, at the bigger conventions, they also do special panels just for those members. Oh, wow. And you get to see some uh, advanced screening stuff. I want to so be do it a in part limited. of it. <laughs> well, get your mom's much permit. much cooler in the beginning. <laughs> Each year it goes on, it gets a little bit worse. Um, I feel like the this same year at New York Comic Con, the exclusive panel was uh, some. Uh, um, Daredevil, you got to see some Daredevil clips before the season came out. But in years past, you saw, I think the one year I saw um, an Avenger, some Avengers stuff like way before the first trailer was even out. And they used to do really cool stuff where it was exclusive and you wanted to be there. And it just slowly went downhill. Yeah. Well, I think you, some of it was social media and people leaking stuff. That's so exactly gets, what I was about yeah. to say. They, they just can't afford it because people just can't be trusted. Yeah. You can't share stuff like no. that anymore. This is a post-secrecy society. Yeah. All right. Well, what about television? I mean, obviously, you know, the superheroes have been on television for years, but I think it was 1980 that uh, Stan Lee started with Marvel Films. And, you know, before then, obviously, we'd seen, what, like, uh, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, and uh, maybe there was an older Hulk cartoon I don't think he was a part of or really uh, associated with in any way. But... um I think the two really big ones that stand out would be Spider-Man and X-Men mm -hmm. cartoons. Yeah. I mean, there are those cartoons that got me into the Marvel comics. I was reading comics, but not Marvel comics at the time. What about you guys? I, You know, it started with the cartoons for me because for a long time I wasn't allowed to read comics. And it wasn't because my parents were against the idea of the comic book, but they found a lot of the content too violent. or, or mm -hmm. it, it felt too adult. So even when I was younger... It was already kind of shifting in the direction of like, oh, adults are into this too. It was no longer just for kids. And I was kind of at the tail end of that where it was getting hard to distinguish. So for me, the cartoons were really the big entry point because that was something I could consume without fear of being told not to. Sure. By you. 
Mine was the, the original Spider-Man cartoon and then Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And the comics didn't really show up until the Batman movie came out. The Keaton Batman. Mm, oh, yeah, because your that, first yeah. one was the... Uh, that, that big omnibus sure. deal. Yep. I have some really early memories of the uh, the Lou Ferrigno Hulk TV show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was off the air by the time I was born, I believe, but um, it had to have been reruns. But I remember that from a young age, loving the Hulk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, same here with me, because I had a little inflatable chair of the Hulk. Oh, really? Yeah, when I was what, five, six, something like that. Right, right. You know, I remember my deal. parents really loving that show mm-hmm. and being excited to show it to me when I was younger. And it's that show and, like, the cartoons we mentioned, and I think there was even an Iron Man cartoon. There was. Fantastic yep. Yeah, I don't remember much about it, but I know it was there. I wasn't really big into that one. I, I mean, it was, uh, again, in the age of muscles and mullets, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Wonder Woman series TV show, too. I was a big one. With Linda Carter? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. But uh, I, I'm remembering shows that were on now in, like, the uh, mid like 2000s who who wants to be a superhero you guys remember that show on sci-fi no, no i remember it being on but i never did watch it wasn't a really good show no <laughs> but um at the same time it was a lot of fun it, it was happening about the same i think that same summer that civil war was happening in the marvel universe but uh Pretty much they what they bring on what ten contestants and all of them bringing their own superhero yeah. to the the table and uh, the point of it is, you know, each week one of them gets eliminated. And then the last one, the one who wins, gets a comic book written by Stan Lee of the char- of their character. And uh, it was, again, it was stupid, but it was fun to watch. <laughs> Didn't and, they have to do, like, uh, challenges and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Like, the, I think one was, like, you had to... Like when you put yourself in the padding and you let the dogs attack you, yeah. kind of shit. Another one you had to like walk a like a balance beam across over an alley or something, mm-hmm. help a lost kid find the mother, kind of stupid tasks. Like, but dude, um, I'm not the superhero. What is this? <laughs> it was funny because you could tell some of them were just there to be on TV. Some of them were just having fun, and there was one guy. There was one guy who just every episode was saying like. The culmination of my life is like this moment. Like I, this this is it. And like whenever it's all or nothing. Whenever Stan would like talk to them, like whenever he talked to Stan, he's like you're like my father to me, sir. And Stan just kind of sits there like, uh, uh, oi, what the fuck? Why do you let this guy on? <laughs> but event, uh, you know, they, he won. You know, I think that oh, was sure. Uh, I thought it was that. Was it that African American woman that was a fat mama? Stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, she. It was. It came down to her and him. Ah. And when it did, you're like, oh, well, he's whining this. <laughs> Come on. But, uh, and so after he did, I got the comic. Feedback. Nice. Who won. And in the back, it shows a lot of the other contestants. There was uh, Levity, Levity. There was uh, Nitro G. Cell Phone Girl. Jeez. Less exciting these days. Yeah. The smartphones. Sounds like names from the mystery men. Yeah. <laughs> Waffle face and Iron Enforcer, Monkey Woman. Who else do we have here? Tyveculus. Ah, oh, of course. The creature. Uh, the Limura. Major Victory. And of course, Fat Mama. Major Victory is a pretty good name. Right. I admit. But uh, anyway, I wanted to mention that show. And then that was followed a few years later by another show called Stanley's Superhumans. Do you that guys remember show, this? I good. do remember yes. that. Yeah. That was a good show. And um, 
it, it always kind of made me think of Stan Lee as Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because, like, his way of, like, there's got to be extraordinary beings in this world. Go find them, you he know? send his bendable man on <laughs> his missions <laughs> to go find people. Yep. Daniel Browning Smith. Yes. His name is. And, uh, yeah, he was a contortionist. He could fit himself into, like, small trunks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the people they would find, like... I was watching some of these uh, reruns on YouTube the other day, and there was a guy who held his breath underwater for 20 minutes. There was a guy whose skin like was like magnet; it would hold anything. They put yeah, like a like a hundred and what was it? Like hundreds, a couple hundred pounds slab of like granite or something on his chest, and just stuck there mm-hmm. like it was nuts. The guy who could conduct electricity, that Indian dude or something like that. I think so. He the way he discovered his power was. He had decided he was going to kill himself. And the way he was going to do it was he climbed this, like, uh, transistor or something. It was just going to grab onto the cord, you know, and just electrocute himself. But it didn't kill him. <laughs> he walked away from it. That one was nuts because when he was sitting there with the uh, the volts running through him, they were amp- ramping it up. And the guy that was translating for him, he was like, yeah, no, so now he's blind because the... The electricity would mm-hmm. take his vision out, but it would come back once the. And he was went. like powering a hot plate, but just by touching. Yes, it, like that's the, right. The, and it was two twenty there too, yeah. so it was a little bit of volts. Yeah, I, going I saw down. something similar when I was in Texas, a place called the Museum of the Weird. There's a gentleman who had some kind of congenital defect. He had hands but no arms. They sort of connected mm. directly to the shoulders, and he would pass all manner of electricity through them and power different things, light bulbs and such. And I, I, it's just something that happens, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, and it's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely and, and the one that always sticks with me from the superhumans was the man with, like, impossible grip who could climb up a sheer rock surface. Uh, yes. He, well, he just was had, kind of spinning around. Yeah, around. yeah just right. an unbelievable level of, of like, muscle control and mm-hmm. grip he had. I forgot about him. That's true. That's true. You could probably palm a medicine ball. And just... <laughs> the one that stands out the most for me is this kid who, uh, I think, he, what, what was it? He had, something made him lose his sight. Oof. I don't know if he had like a tumor behind his eye or something, but he, he was pretty much blind. And he would put on a blindfold. And he could, he had honed in on frequencies at such where he could tell you where an object was and what color it was. Oh, and shape. he could like echolocate. It was. Right? I know what you're. I uh, there's another instance of a guy where oh, he okay. was like clicking stuff on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him. He was incredible. This guy, no, he would just kind of stand there. They took him in a dark room. They had different uh, pillars around with different vases on each of them, different shapes, different colors. They blindfolded him with like a leather leather mask. Shut the lights out. This dude was able to walk to each of them say exactly what shape they were, what color they were, and then smash each other, one of them with a bat <laughs> in complete darkness. It was nuts. Like, I don't see how you're faking that. Anyway, uh, Chris, any memory of these shows at all? No, man. I, I feel like I, I missed the boat on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, rest easy, Chris, because they're on YouTube. You can The boat is uh, still at dock there. Sure, you might catch them on Discovery Channel, I think, because that's, oh, sure. that's what channel it was on. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe that if, or if sci-fi that or now. history. Like no, history. It was, was on it, History Channel. Was it, why? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> they ran out of Nazis and aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Superhumans. But, you know, it's funny because uh, in researching this, that Daniel Browning Smith that does that, I found, went on to do another series, which was pretty much the exact same thing, just minus Stan Lee. So I just wonder if they just kind of brought Stan Lee in because kind of fit the MO. selling point a little bit. Right. 
But um, I'd like to see that episode, those other episodes uh, that he went on to do. All right, anything on the, the television before we move on? Nope. I think that covers it. Yeah. Fun facts? Let's Fun facts him. time? <laughs> on top of doing the promotional posters in World War II, Stan also did training films for the Army along with Dr. Seuss. Really? Wow. Really? And Charles I Dr. Adams, Seuss the creator of the Adams family. Is that right? Huh. Yeah, him also. Wow. It's, it's wow. extraordinary, these, you know, creative titans involved in the war effort. You think you're like Ian Fleming or Julia Child, Christopher Lee, all these people. You know, we, we forget how far the war reached into everyone's lives. You don't associate these people with them, but all these people that did so much, it's just, it's a bizarre thought almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't think of Stan Lee as being a, a contributor to, you know, World War II, but... There you go. Definitely was. Yeah. I mean, and I think that he was uh, stationed stateside with the, what was his uh, title? Like playwright. Like playwright was in his. Playwright, yep. Yeah. So uh, I think I find that, uh, I don't know if that's a typical, if there's always a playwright in the army, Jack, you've had military experience. Did you ever go for playwright? No, I don't think I saw that in the list. (laughs) I know I didn't when the recruiters were barking at me, but. how cool that kind of is. His prize-winning typewriter that he wrote with some of the first issues of Fantastic Four and Spider-Man was destroyed by his wife oh, in an argument they had. He says oh. that on the regular, he would remind her, like, you know, if we could have sold that for quite a bit, you could have yeah, got that car eBay. Yeah. <laughs> I could have made a mint. Yeah, maybe that's what he was saying. I'm going to read another one of these Stan Soapbox here before we move on. For many years, we've been trying, in our own bumbling way, to illustrate that love is a far greater force, a far greater power than hate. Now, we don't mean you're expected to go around... Jake, you're going to have to help me there. Like a... Pirouetting Pollyanna, tossing posies at everyone who passes by. (laughs) (laughs) Man, he loved his alliteration. (laughs) My nickname in high school. Pirouetting Pollyanna. (laughs) Just one of many. (laughs) But we do want to make a point. Let's consider three men. Buddha, Christ, and Moses. Men of peace. Not pulling any punches. (laughs) (laughs) Men of peace, whose thoughts and deeds have influenced countless millions throughout the ages, and whose presence still is felt in every corner of the earth. Buddha, Christ, and Moses. Men of goodwill, men of tolerance, and especially men of love. Now, consider the practitioners of hate, who have sullied the pages of history. Who still venerates their words? Where is homage still paid to their memory? What banners still are raised uh, to their cause? The power of love, the power of hate. Which is most truly enduring? When you tend to despair, let the answer sustain you. Excelsior, smiley, as he used to sign stuff. You know, I like that he kind of illustrates his point by not specifically naming any of the great hateful people of history. How Mm -hmm. easy would it have been to say, like, imagine Hitler, imagine Saddam Hussein, so on and so forth, but... That it's easy in itself to, is showing. It would defeat the point. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good thing to point out. I never registered to me because I, I noticed that. I noticed that's like kind of in the back of my it, mind. It would cheapen it to start yeah. calling them out like that. Good point. So in the late nineties or mid to late nineties, Marvel was on the verge of bankruptcy, uh, and it was selling off 
a lot of their movie uh, rights to their characters to movie companies. That's how, you know, Fox ended up with X-Men and Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. So, you know, over the years we've bitched about these people. Like, Why do they even have them to begin with? Go! Necessity. <clears throat> Necessity. If they weren't ever there, we wouldn't have the MCU we have today, I don't believe. So, um... I think a new appreciation's kind of shown, at, at least to me, uh, in that, in reading that, that maybe these movies, you know, Fantastic Four ain't so bad. It was the maybe. first step. <laughs> they'd all been like that first Fantastic Four movie if they had kept making them. Yeah. Reading that gave me rose-colored glasses oh, for the Fantastic <laughs> Four. But um, what about that first Hulk movie, huh? Oh, wow. Did he have a cameo in that? Actually, let's turn to Chris, because Chris, you said you had a list of cameos, correct? I I do. Um, He was in the 2008 Incredible Hulk. That's not the first one, though. No. No, I don't think he had one in the first one. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you opened up the fridge and had a bunch of (laughs) bottles of pop in there. Yeah. Yeah, they were radioactive, right? Yep. Well, yeah, uh, as of the past, what, 10 years since Marvel Studios has fired up, Stan's really become what everyone calls the king of cameos. And, you know, when you uh, look on YouTube, when you type in Stan Lee, nine times out of 10, the four of the first five videos that pop up, if you're not narrowed in on something specific, our top 10 cameos or a list of all cameos (laughs) or this or that. So they're definitely worth mentioning and talking about because they definitely enrich the experience. One of my favorites uh, that have been in the Marvel movies being the one where he's uh, sitting on the moon talking to the Watchers. Yes. 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 Yep. That yeah. was amazing. Because then it also kind of ties together every other cameo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. One, just to see the uh, the Watchers, period. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> sitting in the big screen. I was nuts was amazing. to see them. Yeah. But we were talking before, one of my all-time favorite, probably my all-time favorite Stanley cameo was in uh, the early 90s, Mall Rats. Yep. (laughs) And I'm going to cut that clip in right here. You um, looking at that couple inside? Actually, I was just looking at this uh, little pink number over here. Oh, yeah, that's kind of nice. They look happy, don't they? What, the bras? No, the couple. They look happy. I guess, as far as couples go. You know, it reminds me of an issue of Spider-Man I did when Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy went lingerie shopping. Of course, the Green Goblin showed up, and he pumpkin-bombed the hell out of the place. But aside from that, it's pretty much the same thing. Oh, my God. Holy shit! Aren't you? Oh, Stanley. The Fantastic Four, Reed Richards. Can his whole body stretch? I mean, every part, you know, like his... I I know what you mean. We never really tackled stuff like that in the old days. I mean, what with the comic book code and all? I can't believe I'm standing here talking to you. You're responsible for the greats. Let's do the list. Spider-Man. Guilty. The Incredible Hulk. Afraid so. Oh, man, this is so cool. The X-Men. Now that you mention it... Shit, man, you are a god. Hey, look at that couple. Boy, they sure seem to be in love, huh? You know, what's with that? That's the second time you've commented on couples in love. Well, I I like that sort of thing. Tell me, do you have a girlfriend, Brody? Had one. We just broke up. The thing. Is this dork made of orange rock like the rest of his body? (laughs) It's a superhero secret. Tell me, Brody, uh, why did you and your girlfriend break up? She was a pain in the ass. She wanted me to be this typical boyfriend guy. Said I was too into my own world, comics and all. Yeah. I can relate. 
There was a time when it was all about comics for me. You know, I, I had a girl probably the same as yours. She always complained that I spent too much time with my own comics. And uh, eventually we broke up. See, what did she know? Here you are now, a legend in the field. Probably had a slew of women since her, am I right? Oh, lots of women. Jagger and me, we had a running contest to see who had the most. Matter of fact, last time I looked, I was way ahead. Damn, that's hot! But I never forgot that girl. Well, did you ever get back together with her? One day I found out she got married. I had blown it. I had uh, missed my window. No way. Well, what'd you do? I went on with my life. I created some special new superheroes. Uh, they were characters that reflected my own heartbreak and my own regrets. How so? Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form, right? Yeah. Okay. That was me beneath the armor. The Hulk. A normal guy one minute, a rage of emotions the next. Just like me when I thought about what I'd given up. So you created each character as a way to deal with your one big regret. Yeah, the girl that got away. Look, do yourself a favor, Brody. Don't wait, because all the money, all the women, even all the comic books in the world, they can't substitute for that one person. I don't know, all the comics in the world? Trust me, true believer. Well, good talking to you. Keep up all the good work. You keep reading them. I'll keep writing them. Hey, Stan. Yeah. She really meant that much to you? Brody, I'd give it all up. All of it. For just one more day with her. Take care. Stan. Hi. Hey, you know, I think he bought it. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, what kind of story did you give him? Oh, it was the vulture soliloquy, you know, from the Spider-Man anniversary issue. Love, be a vulture tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough, Mr. Oh, forget it. But, you know, I think you ought to get him some help. He seems to be really hung up on superhero sex organs. But he'll outgrow it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Mr. Lee. Yeah. Excelsior. Oh, you got that right. See ya. And there it is. But uh, as far as other cameos, what have you got on your list there, Chris? Well, one of my favorites is, uh, I don't remember, was it an Iron Man or the Avengers? Um, the Tony Stank one when he was the delivery man? <laughs> that was uh, Civil War. Civil War, yeah. That was funny, though. That was a good one. Yep. Uh, we got Iron Man in 2008 where he was as himself with the gala with three blondes. Um, when Tony Stark mistakes him for yes. Hugh Hefner. Yeah. Well, he's wearing like a smoking jacket, too. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, Iron Man 2, he's wearing suspenders and a red shirt and black and purple tie. Um, he was greeted by Tony Stark as Larry King. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> uh, the Thor one and the, the original Thor, that was a good one, too, where he uh, tries to pick up truck, the pickup truck, trying to get Mjolnir. That's and he tears right. off the bed of the truck. Yes. Um, Captain America, first Avenger. He was a general in World War II who mistakes another man for Steve Rogers saying, I thought he'd be taller. (laughs) Um, Avengers. He was interviewed about the Avengers and he said, superheroes in New York, give me a break. Iron Man three was the beauty pageant judge. Gave one of the contestants a 10. That one was good. Hmm. Um, 
Thor the Dark World, a mental ward patient who loans his shoe to Eric Selvig? I don't remember that. Huh. Me neither. Yeah, when they oh, rescued man, I've him I've got, from like, the, the vaguest memory of that. Yeah, that one's... he, The old guy that was... I don't know, Thor's friend, the, yeah. the crazy scientist when he Stella was getting oh, yeah. They were breaking him out of the, the mental ward, and he didn't have shoes on. I remember that. So Stanley handed them to him. I do remember that. Um, Winter Soldier, uh, when he was working the Smithsonian, when Captain America went and stole his uh, uniform, and he said, oh, man, I'm so fired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Guardians, when he was uh, with the younger woman. Oh, on yeah, the, on the, the planet, yeah, Gamora. in the beginning, yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. He was uh, another World War II veteran. Oh, the shot of the Asgardian liquor from Thor, but then he's carried away drunk at the party. Yes. He was at Tony Stark's party. Yeah. <laughs> Ant Man. He was a bartender. I don't remember that one either. Mm-mm. That I don't know. Captain America: Civil War. That's the FedEx postman. Doctor Strange, he was a bus rider reading the doors of perception while laughing that he's reading hilarious, oblivious, uh, oblivious to the battle that was going on. The Watchers and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Spider-Man Homecoming, he was the annoyed neighbor Gary who thought Spider-Man was attacking someone. said, don't make me come down there, you punk. Oh, you know, yeah. Somebody, they were yelling out the windows and all the people in the neighborhood. And somebody, I think somebody yelled at him to shut up or something. <laughs> uh, Thor Ragnarok, he was a servant to the Grandmaster. Black Panther. I don't remember that either. He was a patron of the casino in South oh, Korea. That I do remember. I don't remember that one. I don't recall that one. Oh yeah, he takes uh, the chips. I've only seen Black Panther once. I need to watch it again. I don't retain a movie after one watch. <laughs> no, you <laughs> two or three not. times, then it sinks in. Infinity War. He was Peter Parker's bus driver. That I do remember. And Ant Man and the Wasp. He was a pedestrian whose car got shrunk. <laughs> oh, okay. So, We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in uh, the Amazing Spider-Man with uh, 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 what was his name? Andrew Garfield. Yeah, he He's was the janitor. He was the librarian. Listening to music. Yeah, yeah. Listening like, to music. I love fighting. that's probably one of my favorites. Oh yeah, that was a good scene. That was a good one. Um, one that I read about. I don't know if it was ever filmed or if it was just it never got in front of the camera. But uh, one of the original cameos written for him for Guardians of the Galaxy was when. I think it's Yondu walks into the collector's. Is it the collector's place at some point during the movie? And you know, there's all the different creatures. Like you see Howard the Duck, and yeah. All the stuff around that Stan was going to be sitting in one oh, of those boxes, right. yeah. and like <laughs> when they look at him, he'd flip him off yeah. like back. But they cut it out for oh, some reason. That would have been priceless. <laughs> yeah. Favorite cameo that never existed. Yeah. But man, this this list is huge. That's that was just the MCU, and then he's got the X Men, the Spider Man trilogy, Fantastic Four. The Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil. Oh, he was in the original Hulk. That's right. Um, he was with Lou Ferrigno. They were security guards in Bruce Banner's lab in the oh, first I Hulk film. I remember that, I think. I don't remember that. I don't remember a lot about that movie, though. I did not dig it. No. He was in Big Hero 6. Oh, he was. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Was he? Yeah, he was at the very end. As much as I hate to say, he was on Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, a lot of good cameos there. And from what I understand, uh, they've filmed a lot more that they can still distribute out through future Marvel films. He's done the one for the Infinity War, the new one. He has? Yep. yep. Yeah. And okay. um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse too, but that's animated. But he recorded something. Huh. Yeah, that comes out in Christmas, huh. so. That's I imagine. A while ago. 
I don't know where I heard that, but yeah, they like just filmed like a whole bunch of different things just to have like kind of in. The I, I heard that not too long ago that yeah, all the all so these cameos they put in the next however many movies there's going to be. Yeah, like I don't I'm glad because it's just a nice little touch to all those yeah. films. You mm-hmm. almost like be a, ashamed to lose it. Little Easter egg. Yeah, I saw somebody posted somewhere that they should put him like after they run out with all the footage that he's done already. Just CG him in places to keep him with that whole watcher idea. As long as they don't make it look chintzy or anything. <laughs> no, you know? yeah. They could put him in the background easily enough. I think they've got enough footage they could probably patch something in to look pretty natural. Yeah. I mean, but what do I know? Not much. Another uh, fact here that I uh, forgot to mention that Chris had uh, kind of mentioned at the top of the episode was that Stan actually did uh, takes on the biggest DC Characters, the Justice League, uh, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and The Green Lantern. And if you uh, look at images of them, boy, do they look so far different from what we know of the characters. Uh, Chris, did you ever get to read any of them? What what did you uh, think of them? I know I had one or two of them, and I don't remember much about them. It was more of a novelty for me. But, I mean, I think, I guess, if you're going to come in and you're Stan Lee, you got to make them completely different. Um, and for the most part, he just kind of made them a little more, I guess, normal and gave them the Stanley alliterative name. So, you know, they always had the the same initials. So I think, um, Batman, instead of Bruce Wayne, it was like, will William Wayne or Wayne William. And, um, you know, he gave them all the different names and a little bit different origins and some different power sets, but I, I don't remember anything being super great out of it, but just a, a different unique take. And I think each one, um, each one was different and he worked with a different major DC artists on it. So I think Jim Lee worked on one. Oh, and, wow. um, I can't remember who the others were that I didn't realize, but yeah, I mean, what, yeah, from what I saw, like the Batman actually looks like a Batman. He looks like deflator mouse from the tick. Oh yeah. He kind of does. <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah. And, uh, just what I've read here, Wayne Williams, you were right. He yeah. changed the name around. It says his father was a policeman who was killed in an ambush, which is... Wow. And I think Batman uh, was black, different. right? Yes, yes, he was. I, I went to the comic book store to look for this uh, book, but of course they did not have it in. That's probably hard to find. Green Lantern looks like Dr. Manhattan almost. Kind of, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and Superman was like a part of the Kryptonian police force or something. And Superman looks cool. Yeah, he does. I don't remember what he looked like. Cool. Yeah, he looks pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. He's got cooler a... than uh, normal Superman. Frankly, yes. Yeah. His underwear is <laughs> on know? the right side of his pants. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he looks neat. He kind of looks in the face like a, he reminds me of Ben Riley from the 90s Spider-Man uh, clone series. Got like big oh, yeah, I'm looking football at it shoulder pads on. And uh, Wonder Woman has kind of a She-Ra thing going. She's much she more did. Amazonian looking, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's got that kind of fantasy edge to it. And the Flash almost looks like a robot. I, I like how sleek looks like she the Flash is. female, too. Is, yeah. But, yeah, I would be uh, very curious to read those. Mm-hmm. Very curious indeed, but just wanted to make mention of them quick. Before we move on here, I'm going to read the last Stan soapbox I have. Let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch to the snoot. 
You good? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater. One who hates blindly. God damn it. Jake, help me here. You mean no words, cool. Them have big words. Uh, the bigot is an unreasonable, unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then... Will we be truly worthy of the concept that man has created in the image of God, a God who calls us all his children? Peace and justice, Pax et Justitia. Stanley. Stanley. Thank you, Jake. Sure. Appreciate that. But, uh, man, if that still doesn't just ring true yeah, today really and will always probably through time. Um, and unfortunately... We're going to be wrestling with those same evils probably through time. Yeah. But, you know, it's a man who never stopped saying that. There were right. so many of these soapbox things that I read that pretty much said the same thing. I just picked that one because it was shorter. <laughs> <laughs> and better suited for the context of listening sure. to radio. <laughs> but, um, you know, not only through just being upfront and saying it like that, that same message was definitely put into this comics, into those stories building that moral code, treating everyone the same, just being the best human beings we can be. Something that's been there since the beginning, one yeah. form or another. And it sucks that, uh, again, you know, he had a long, long life, but yeah. it sucks that the father of uh, everything we're doing here today has gone. So um, do you guys have anything else to say on Stanley? Mm-mm. I think as, as far as the effect he's had on us, it's pretty well documented throughout yeah. our whole show and what we've said tonight. I, like he said, no one was shocked when he passed away. He was an older fella, and he had a long, successful life. I, by any metric, the man was a success, but that doesn't lessen the impact. And exactly. You feel that loss, whether you were expecting it or not. And I guess, regardless of your religious beliefs or how you view things like this, there's something about it. That it it's, it's good to know that maybe he's with his wife somewhere. You know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. You didn't have to go on without her for too much longer. Yeah, exactly. Well said. All right. I think that's going to do it then for our Stan Lee I so. episode. Yes. Uh, I hope our listeners have found this to be a good tribute to the man. I think we did a pretty good job. I what do you guys so think? Too, yeah. I hope you I learned something. We stayed true to ourselves about it. That sounds cheap but you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> not like it's some hallmark bullshit but i wanted to you know i don't know what our age demographic is for our listeners but i wanted to you know for those people who may only know him as king of cameos or just you know the guy who created them and now does cameos yeah. there's a big big gap of accomplishments and uh work that he did in all those years between that just really defined him and changed the world around us. And I, I don't think it really gets much uh, rec- enough recognition. Maybe it does now, but 
I don't more know. now. It's just about him in the movies. Yeah, I always not... want to compare him to Walt Disney, and though Walt Disney might be doing better fiscally than <laughs> Stanley, yeah. I think uh, in the long run that these characters um, will long outlast, say like Mickey or Goofy, or oh, maybe, yeah. you know, in the I far so. long long run. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm. No, wrong. I'm inclined to I, agree. I mean, Mickey has the brand. Like Disney has the brand, but you can't say that there's a relevant Mickey Mouse right now for our generation. And Stanley has creations that are relevant and popular and just, I mean, raking in dough. And we kind of talked, we did an episode where we talked, what if Disney had never existed? And we talked about, uh, you know, kind of the, the message that kind of comes across in some of these Disney movies is not a realistic one. You know, no. like, as long as you put your mind to it, you can achieve every anything. The fairy tale no. ending is not something. It's and always no. a happy ending. And, I, you know, that's something that, uh, not that Stan didn't give happy endings, but they were realistic happy endings, you know. Mm-hmm. like I think the message comes out more, you're going to struggle, but you can't. Give in, I think right? your expectations of life growing up are going to be more realistic if you come up on Marvel Comics rather yeah. than Disney, where you think like <laughs> everything will come to me because I'm trying. Oh, you know? I wished on a star earlier. So. You're a pretty <laughs> princess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm looking too deep into no, it. No, I, um, I definitely see what you're saying. I think it's a much more impactful stamp on uh, on the times, on humanity, on us. So uh, with that, I think we're just going to... We're going to end the episode. Chris, I want to thank you so much for being here, even though we talked over you most of it. I do apologize, sir. That's all right. I learned a lot today. I got some new things to watch on YouTube, uh, things to add to my queue. It's going to be a good week. (laughs) (laughs) And enjoy it because, my God, I have. Watching these interviews and going through all this stuff has been phenomenal and learning there's a lot of stuff that i learned that i didn't even say today it's just we're going on an hour and a half it's a long episode (laughs) i was worried we weren't going to fill an hour i was too but here we are and we did a damn good job i think of covering everything i've got here so with that jack what do we have on the website go to kandairpodcast.com where you can check out some of our special guests become a patron buy some merch see some of our youtube videos and if you want to be on the show and promote your work send us an email on our contacts page and don't forget on twitter and facebook we are at canned air pod and on instagram we are at canned underscore air and if you really like what we do head on down to patreon and prove it and people please head over to conjunkies.com and check out more about what chris is up to and if you want to check out the episode that aired just last week the one right before this uh, we talked with Chris all about con junkies and get edumacated on the subject. And Learn uh, yourself. Get learned it on the mm-hmm. subject. But uh, definitely recommend going to that website if you are going to any con in the near future, especially if you're, you don't frequent cons. It really tells you what to expect, what to look out for. Yeah. Quite an asset. Get so, your to-do list while yeah. at the con. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, once again, conjunkies.com. And once again, Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you. Uh, Had a great time again. We'll have you back again in the future. All right. I think enough said. I think so. Until next time, I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And I'm Chris Thomas. Excelsior.
want you to know, Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.